Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Ooh, thank you, Brother Kale, for that song selection. Uh, he did ask me. I left that to him, and he did a wonderful job. I appreciate that. appreciate y'all's participation in that. Uh, very grateful, too, for the prayers on my behalf. Very thankful for the words that were said around the table. Um, and I am joyful to be here, Brandon. Very much so. And you're a part of that. You're a part of that. Each and everyone who's here, I believe, can help edify us and build us up, make us stronger in our faith. So, again, thank each of you for that. I think we got a blank screen. And that's good because I want to talk just a little bit before we go to the first slide. Um, some of you apparently did not get the, the memo because we were going Hawaiian today. Kevin, Jacob... Joanne's got some, there's others out there, so thank you all for that, for the support. I need all that I can get, and thank you very much for that. All right, so we're going to talk, Lord willing, about the church that Jesus built. And you might be thinking, why is that important? Why is that something that we need to look at? I will tell you that, um, in my mind, it has eternal repercussions, It affects the soul and eternal destiny of each and every one of us. In fact, the church is so important that, as Brandon said this morning, Christ died for that church. If he had not died, the church couldn't come into effect, couldn't come into being. Well, why is that important? We'd still be under the Mosaical law. We'd be lost in our sins. Eternal salvation was predicated on Jesus dying, shedding his blood, and building his church. Eternal destiny built on that. You know, Jesus did build his church. And not too long after that, you know what man began to do? Began to change it. Funny how that works. Not any different, really, than Adam and Eve. God had a garden there that was perfect. They didn't have a whole lot of chores to do. I had more chores as a kid. And they managed to do what? Mess that up. Yeah, they brought sin into the world for mankind, didn't they? Changed everything. And it didn't take them long. Well, it didn't take mankind very long to take the church that Jesus built, began to try to change that. There were some folks that came along, wanted to reform what was going on. A couple of hundred years later, some folks came along, wanted to restore Christianity to the first century church. Hopefully you and I are part of that today, and I believe that we are. Because I don't want to be a part of any other church because Jesus built the church in the first century. Now there's some things about that church that are very important that we should definitely take a look at. Okay, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is there and he begins to talk about the church that he built. And that's very important to us, again, because we need to know which church that Jesus built. Now, beginning in verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, that term there is very important, Son of Man, because that was associated with the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was going to come and save man from his sins. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they answered, right? So they said, some say 
that you are, John the Baptist, some Elijah, other Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Good old Simon Peter. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. The son of the living God. And that confession is foundational. That confession is what the church is built on. Think about that for just a minute. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whew. And you're going to build this church. Thank you for that, Lord. So Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And I want to stop there for just a minute. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Simon, the son of Jonah. Jesus knew who this guy was. They had been introduced. They had spent some time together, so to speak. Why did he give the name Simon Barjona? Let's hold on for just a minute. We're going to go ahead. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This was a revelation. This was divinely revealed to Simon Bar-Jonah that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Revelation through the Father. And I will also say unto thee that you are Peter. And on this... Ooh, let's stop there for just a minute. I want to talk about Peter for just a minute. Now, I'm not a Greek guy. I'm not from Greece. I don't know the language. But I know the New Testament basically written in Greek. And if we want to get meanings out of stuff, sometimes we've got to do a little digging. And that word Peter there is actually the Greek word Petros. And if I have that right, Petros really means a pebble. Now, today we might say it's a rock or a stone. More like a pebble is what that is. And why did he say that you're Peter? He just changed his name. See, he knew he was Simon Bar-Jonah, but he said you're a pebble. And I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that. And on this rock, that word rock in the Greek is Petra. It means a boulder. You know the difference between a pebble and a boulder? According to Wikipedia, the definition of a boulder is something that's 10.1 inches in circumference. 10.1 inches. Anything smaller than that, that's a pebble. I know because I Googled it up. And if it's on the internet, it <laughs> has to be true. Wikipedia even verifies sources, right? This is tiny. And if in your mind you can picture a boulder and you can picture a pebble... And you were going to build a house. Tell me which one you'd build on. Because I'll tell you which one Jesus built his church on. He built it on a boulder. So what does Petra and Petros have to do with this? He said, Peter, you got a little piece of this. You do. Your confession that I am the son of the living God is the boulder. But it came out of your mouth. And you're going to get to do that again. In fact, you're going to get to preach the first recorded gospel sermon. The day that my church starts. Is that important? Absolutely. 
Now, Jesus didn't build that on a mortal man, Peter. He built it on the fact that Jesus is the son of the living God. He's deity and he's divine. He is everlasting. That's what he built the church on. And then he says, I will build future tents. So when Jesus is here with his apostles at the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he hadn't built a church yet. It's not in existence. Nobody could be in it yet. I will build my church. Whose church is it? Church Peter? The church of my granddaddy? My dad laid block on church buildings. Two different ones in the state of New Mexico, southeast New Mexico. Neither one of those were his church. And if they were, I don't want a part of it. And I know that because Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. We can't get to the Father except we go through Jesus. Acts 4 and 12 says that there's salvation in no other name. That there is no name under heaven given among men whereby man must be saved except the name of Jesus. Salvation in no other. So why would we look anywhere else? And if we do, we're not going to find it. My church, that shows ownership. That shows craftsmanship. And it is built on Him. Isn't that awesome? His church. I think that's fantastic. And the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. There's a lot of discussion about that. And brothers and sisters, there's a ton of things that we could talk about in these uh, scriptures this morning. And I'm sure you don't want me to pontificate uh, for days on end about those. Lord willing, we'll get to some of those later on other Sundays. But I want to talk about the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I've read and I've heard many different theories about what this means. I'm going to give you mine. And I'm going to start with the context here. The context is that Jesus is going to build his church. Now remember, he has to die for the church to come into existence. And that's what Hades is, is a place of the dead. And you know what Jesus is telling them there? I'm going to die. But I'm going to build my church. Because God is going to raise me from the dead. Death can't hold him in the ground. That tomb can't hold him. That stone rolled away. Satan and all of his minions, don't you know the plan? We kill this Jesus, there will be no church. There will be no salvation. There will be no forgiveness of sin. That sin debt still has to be paid if we can just get him in the ground. And Jesus is saying, it ain't going to work. Because I have to be put in the ground. I have to die. I have to be hung on a tree, become a curse for mankind. That has to happen. You know why? Because my daddy said it would. And that's the way this is going to work. But I'm going to come up out of that ground and I'm going to build my church. And you're going to get to see that, Peter. You're going to be a part of it. Awesome stuff going on. And then he says to Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Again, there's some confusion here among folks. He's talking about the church and he begins to talk about the kingdom. That's right. 
Because in today, the church and the kingdom are the same thing. And he ties those two together right here in this verse, the church and the kingdom. Let's don't miss that. That's an important piece. And he's given the keys of that kingdom to Peter. Now that'd be a whole lot chaos if I give you the keys to my car and you never use them. Car didn't do you any good. If Peter doesn't use these keys, that's not going to do any good. But he's going to use them. We're going to get to see that. And I'm really glad that he did. And you know what? You and I get to use them too. We sure do. And whatever you bind on earth be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What a great discussion there between Jesus and his apostles. Now let's go and look at some of that if we can. Let's go to the book of Acts. And if you've got a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 2. And let's read some things here. In fact, what we're going to read here is all of those things prophesied about the church coming to pass. Let's just start in verse number 1 of Acts chapter 2. We're going to do a lot of reading out of Acts 2. And the reason we're going to read out of Acts 2 is that's because when we see the recording of Jesus building his church. Isn't that wonderful? You go right there, he builds a church. Starts uh, here in verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now again, understand Pentecost is what? It's, it's important to Jews. Church hadn't started yet. Every male is supposed to be where? In Jerusalem. That's where they're supposed to be. Uh, thank you, Jacob, for the reading this morning. Right? Because what did they say back then? Isaiah, the son of Amos, prophesied saying what? This is going to start in Jerusalem. It would come out of Jerusalem, out of Zion, or from, Zion, from Jerusalem and out of Zion, the word of God would come. The church was going to begin in Jerusalem. Prophesied way back then. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. What did Isaiah say? That all nations, all nations would be where? In Jerusalem. When what happened? The church is built. See how God has orchestrated this? It's amazing how that works. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And he begins to list different places that these folks are from. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Siren, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, excuse me, one another, whatever could this mean? I love that. Whatever could this mean? Can you imagine that? You just went for a high holy day, you're a Jew, you're in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, this big wind comes blowing. It's noisy. It's loud. 
Sound like a tornado if you're from Oklahoma area. You know what that sounds like. Jet engine roaring out there. Then all of a sudden, these guys get up and they start talking in tongues. And not just talking, but you're hearing your first language. And the people next to you who have a different first language hearing the same message in their first language. No kidding, they were confused and perplexed, the Bible says. Whatever could this mean? That sounds a little country to me. Whatever could this mean? What a great question. Now there were others mocking said they're full of new wine. I mean, they drunk. But Peter standing up with the eleven. Remember he was given the keys to the kingdom? Remember that? And he's going to start using those keys right now. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Again, prophecy about the beginning of the church. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. Last days of what? It's the last days of the Jewish age. We're about to pass from the Jewish age into the Christian era, the Christian age, when the church begins. That I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming and the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. What a great prophecy about the coming of the church. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. And if you're a Jew at this particular time and you don't snatch on to that, you're going to get left behind. Because there's a church getting built that you ain't going to be a part of. Whew. But I want to be a part of that church because there's salvation in there. Men of Israel, Peter goes back to preaching and says, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through you in your midst, or through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Yep. God already knew what was going to happen when he sent his son to Jerusalem the last time. He already knew that he was going to be condemned to death. Put on that cross for you and I. And that was the will of God being done by, by Gentiles who were not even believers, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Isn't that amazing? Death couldn't hold Jesus down. Satan couldn't hold Jesus down. All the power of mankind could not hold Jesus down. You know why? Because he's God. He's all-powerful. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. 
You will not leave my soul in Hades. Remember we said the gates of Hades won't prevail against it? Now, I don't know if you've done any study in what happens to a body after it dies. But it doesn't get better. It does not improve. I can promise you that. It begins to deteriorate. But what was the promise to Jesus here? He wasn't going to be, he was not going to be in that grave long enough for that body to deteriorate. He's going to come again, right? He's going to raise up out of there. Because he's got the power to do that and he's got a church to build. He's got a mission. When he died on the cross, he wasn't through. He still had a church to build. He could not stay in Hades long enough for that to happen. Whew, sorry. Men and brethren, I'm going to verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, David being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, David's body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, King Jesus. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Can you imagine the Jews hearing that? You know what, Peter was not politically correct. He wasn't. He called them out. He said, you murdered the Son of God. By wicked hands you took and slew him. He didn't mince words. Now what kind of reaction do you suppose he got? Well, let's look and see. Verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? If you were guilty of the blood of Jesus, would you want to know what to do? Man, I would. I could not imagine standing before the God of this universe and having to answer to him for killing his son. Whew! Now I'm going to tell you, I'm a daddy. I got kids. You want to get me mad, start messing with one of my kids. That'll do it. It's right there. This is his only begotten. Perfect. His word made flesh. And they killed him. Yes, they wanted to know. How can we get that off of us? Then Peter again, using the keys, said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. Same thing that we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. What a beautiful message here. And it's consistent throughout the Scripture. Consistent throughout the Scripture. This is how we get saved. This is how we get in the church. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call, and with many other words... Whew, he preached a long time. 
He preached a long time. This is the first gospel sermon. Now, back in the Restoration period, there was a fellow known called Raccoon John Smith. He was a contemporary of a fellow named Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell was holding a revival. Raccoon John Smith wanted to go hear him preach. Got on his horse. Took him four hours to get there. Alexander Campbell preached two hours. Afterwards, John Smith walked up to him and Campbell said, What'd you think? And he said, Took me four hours to get here and you only preached for two. Wasn't worth my time. Funny how things change, isn't it? Right now, we worried about beating the, the, the Baptists to the to lunch if we ain't careful. First gospel sermon. Now, this wasn't just to them, but it's to all of us. What a great message to us. Then those who gladly received his word were what? Baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Notice again, they're added to the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Does doctrine matter? We've already talked about that, if you were here for it. I'm going to tell you right now, if the church doesn't have the apostles' doctrine, it ain't the church. We've got to have the right doctrine. We have to have the right teaching. The Lord's church built on that doctrine. And they continued steadfastly in it, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and good, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. What church? The church that had just begun. Didn't exist before then. It's the church that Jesus built. And how do we get in the church? The Lord adds us. And what action do we take to be added? He told us in verse number 38, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. That's the gospel that we get added. So where are the saved? Brothers and sisters, saved are in the church. He added to the church daily those who were being what? Saved. Saved from what? Their sins. That's what the church is all about. Now, we looked at some things there out of Matthew chapter 3. If we start to who, what, when, where, what's a purpose, responsibility, value, organization, there's a lot of things that we could have talked about. And Lord willing, we will in the future. We look at who built the church, we know who that was. It was Jesus. And I want to stress that the church is not a building. I want to stress that temple worship ended when the church began. I hear people say pretty frequently, do you go to church? No. Can't. I can't. I can't go to church because I am part of the church. Now I can assemble. I can come together. I can be a part of the church. But if I'm going there, I ain't a part of it. Church is not a building, brothers and sisters. Church is people. It's the people of God. It's those who are called out of this world and added there when they're saved. It. I'm it challenged. IT. When I was a kid growing up, IT was it. It's not that way anymore. right? A lot of things changed since I was growing up. But I'm going to tell you something that hadn't changed, and that's the Lord's church. 
when I talk to people in the, in the world about religious things, and you probably have some of these same experiences, and we begin to talk about that. And I ask them, how do they identify religiously? And there's all kinds of different things out there. And they asked me, how do you identify? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. And they said, well, I am too. Well, that's not what you told me. You told me you were after somebody's name or a secular institution. But I'm part of the, the church that Jesus built, the church that Christ built. And I want to be there. And I want to die in this church. Now, I'm not telling you the church saves you. I'm telling you that's where you get put after you're saved. That's a result of that. So if you look around the building here, every member of the church here saved. Claim it. Claim it. And then act it out in your life. Don't be ashamed. Don't back up. Don't try to make excuses. Don't come in and say, oh, but you know, we're not. Yes, we are. We're God's elect. He has made us priests. He has made us kings. This is a glorious thing that we're a part of. Jesus died to give us these things. Why in the world would we apologize for it? Why would we back up from it? And why don't we want other people to embrace it? The only way they're going to embrace that, brothers and sisters, is if we get the message to them. If we love them enough to take the time to tell them about this blessed organization, the only institution, by the way, that is going to survive the end of time, the church. They want to be a part of it? We don't know until we ask. If we sit around here and apologize for it, they're not going to want it. It took God dying to give us this. Now, what about you today? You a member of this church? Has God added you, the Lord added you to his kingdom, to his church? Have you heard the gospel? Well, you did this morning. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. How do we come in contact through that blood? We do that by what? Confessing that Jesus is the son of the living God, right? There's our confession. We repent, and we do what? We're baptized. That's where we come in contact with the blood. Our sins are remitted. We're added to the church. We got a whole new family. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. Beautiful promises that we have. If you've done that, but you need the prayers of this body for any reason, please come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.